0: Hi.
1: My name's Gage. And
0: I'm Ray. And you are listening to Gore Report. <laughs> <laughs>
1: We will always be working on our spooky voices. That
0: was so bad,
1: but that, I don't know. It was like so cheesy. It was almost good. I think it fits the vibe.
0: Gore report.
1: Go report.
0: I don't know. I was just trying for that Resident <laughs> Evil vibe, and it did not happen. It did not happen. But anyway, hello everybody.
1: We hope you're having a good week this week, as always. If you're new here, then welcome.
0: Welcome. Thank
1: you for listening and clicking on our podcast. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Is that your spooky voice? <laughs> yeah,
1: I would have to say so. I have many spooky voices. I have like this spooky, and then I have boo, and then I have
0: spooky. So, you know, there's a
1: lot. There's a lot going on there in are here. Layers you layers know. here. Is it one of my many spooky voices? Yes so we don't really have a lot of business to announce at the beginning of this episode if you guys want to follow me and ray and all of our fucking weird then you can stay (laughs) tuned till the very end and that's when we announce our social media so yeah and i'm so
0: excited for this case i don't mean to cut you off but i'm literally that excited oh no i'm excited
1: too i'm fucking i'm ready i've been driving myself crazy researching this shit so i'm i'm ready to go
0: yes so without further ado let's get into
1: your case so here we are oh god part two of the amityville horror case
0: will you hold my hand <laughs> i will hold your hand yes <laughs> will you hold my hand okay
1: i'm not gonna sing on this podcast uh, nobody's gonna appreciate that <laughs> but um As I stated in part one, I wanted to format my information in a way where I could have one episode analyzing the brutal murders of the DeFeo family and the whole, you know, the true crime side of this case. Right. And then I wanted the second part or the second episode to be dedicated to analyzing the alleged haunting that happened to the Lutz family when they moved into the house located at 112 Ocean Avenue just one year after the DeFeo murders happened. Ugh. This haunting gained notoriety all over Ugh. the world. It literally made a ridiculous imprint on American horror cinema and literature. This case, in just all of its aspects, has, like, been one the world has had its attention to for some time. It inspired best-selling books, several movies, all that good jazz. So, if you haven't listened to part one of this case, I highly recommend you listen to that one so you don't miss out on any information. So, now that that little intro note is out of the way, we can now get on with the Amityville Horror Part 2, The Mm. Haunting of the Lutz Family. Now, to give a small recap from part one, we discussed the early life of Ronald DeFeo Jr., leading up to the absolutely horrific crime he committed that forever shocked the small town of Amityville, Long Island, as well as the entire world. In the early morning hours of November 13th, 1974, a then 23-year-old Ronald DeFeo Jr. shot his parents and four younger siblings to death while they slept in their beds. Mm. He gave several different stories in regards to what took place that night, some of which involving him being possessed by demonic forces, mm. as well as him hearing voices from within the house that compelled him to literally slaughter his entire family.
0: That is so creepy.
1: It really fucking is. So um, creepy. In November of 1970, 19- 75, Ronald DeFeo Jr. was convicted of six counts of second-degree murder and given a life sentence without the possibility of parole for each count. He was then sent to the Green Haven Correctional Center located in Beekman, New York, where he lived the rest of his natural life incarcerated. Uh, Actually, just last year, on March 12th, 2021, Ronald DeFeo Jr. actually passed away in prison at the age of 69 years old. Wow. I couldn't find what exactly happened to him, but yeah, he definitely died. He passed away last year. One year after the murders of the DeFeo family, a man by the name of George Lutz and his family purchased the home located at, you guessed it, 112 Ocean Avenue in Mm -hmm. Amityville. George Lutz and his wife Kathleen, they both claimed that they had been driven out of the house by extremely malicious, supernatural, and demonic entities. Hey,
0: they made a movie about that. They 20, made several. They 20, made several. 28 days later.
1: <laughs> oh my God. I can't fucking. Oh my God. I see what you're doing. I can't. <laughs> to start off this episode, we can discuss George and Kathleen Lutz a little bit. In December of 1975, George and Kathleen were newlyweds. George was a 28 year old ex Marine and he was running his own family survey firm. Kathleen was 30 years old at the time and she had three children from a previous marriage. Daniel who was 10, Melissa, or Missy, who was 5, and Christopher, who was 7. George and Kathleen were on the search for their dream home. They wanted to find themselves a house that they could, you know, raise their family in and grow old together. They were looking for that idyllic dream house, per se. You know, the American dream type shit, or so they say. So eventually they start looking in the little village of Amityville in Long Island, In the fall of 1975, George and Kathleen's real estate broker brought their attention to a particularly beautiful Dutch colonial house that was for sale. It was located at, guess it, I'm going to say the address for the fourth time this episode, (laughs) 112 Ocean Avenue. Initially, George and Kathleen were shocked by the price that was being asked for the house. The 4,000 square foot home was being sold for $80,000, which... That's a lot of money still, but that's very low considering how fucking beautiful and large the house was.
0: Admiral Akbar would say, it's a trap!
1: <laughs> the, no shit. <laughs> I mean, the house was fucking beautiful. It was located right on a canal. It had a beautiful fucking boathouse, as well as the actual home being fucking gigantic. It had two and a half stories, six bedrooms and three bathrooms, a heated pool, and a completely finished basement. Like, this was a nice fucking house. I mean you know, surprise. It's haunted or allegedly haunted, but beautiful house, <laughs> beautiful house. So I
0: hope you like three AM wake up calls,
1: <laughs> six bedrooms, three bathrooms and a legion of demons. Thank you for booking with us. <laughs> so George and Kathleen thought this was an absolute steal. They, as well as their children all fell in love with the home at first sight. And it wasn't long after finding it that they started going forward with buying the home. Mm. George and Kathleen were informed by their real estate broker about the history of the house though they did in fact find out before going through with the purchase that only 18 months prior that a family of 6 was shot to death while they slept oh. within the home Now, even after learning this information, George and Kathleen were not deterred from the house. As I said, they were literally looking for their dream home, and this house was everything they needed and wanted for their family. They literally fell in love with it, as the story goes. Mm. So, it didn't take much deliberation. They ended up buying the house anyways, and soon after, on December 18th, 1975, they started moving in. George stated that the unsettling experiences started pretty much immediately upon moving into the home. Oh, no. In one of many of his TV interviews, he stated an instance in which their dog, a black Labrador retriever named Harry, had literally tried to hang himself in the yard. George said that he had put Harry on his chain so he could unload some boxes and such from the moving truck and harry just would not go inside the house he was snarling and barking and freaking out so george said that he put him on a chain and he just went to you know unloading boxes harry was evidently a really really calm dog who rarely growled or barked or really did any of that so this was kind of unusual george said that not too long after this he heard some whimpering and commotion coming from outside only minutes after he had put harry on the chain and George runs outside to see that Harry had actually jumped the fence and was hanging by his chain on the other side like he was choking to death and frantically trying to escape. George said this happened literally within the first hour of moving into the home.
0: Yeah, it's time to get the fuck out.
1: That's what I'm saying. (laughs) I don't know what just happened, but I don't really care. I'm I'm gonna get get the the fuck fuck up out out of here. here. Right? That's what I'm saying. Like, Jesus. Now, a few days after the incident with Harry, a close friend of George and Kathleen, who had also known the previous history of the house, he urged George to get the house blessed formally, and George agreed to do so. A local priest came over to the house a few days later to perform the blessing, and the blessing allegedly didn't really last too long however because maybe only 20 minutes into it the priest runs down the stairs and basically goes to leave the property he was like nope okay fuck this i'm out uh, uh, he it's was like nope uh, train to fuck that shit, uh, it's a fuck no for me thanks <laughs> um the priest told george that he had been slapped violently across the face by an unseen force as well as hearing a deep like man's voice telling him to get out that specific part of the story is actually a really big part of the movies both the Stuart rosenberg one and the newer one
0: you said that and all that's going through my head is get get away from me bitch uh,
1: get away from me bitch <laughs> <laughs> he then goes on to tell george that the upstairs sewing room should never be used as a bedroom because that's where he had felt the bulk of like the dark energy I believe the current sewing room that the Lutz had was actually previously maybe one of the bedrooms that had belonged to one of the DeFeo children. Oh, good. good but good. yeah, that sewing room was also where this priest, he was like, hey, I got fucking slapped. I heard a voice telling me to get the fuck out, and that's where I felt it, so yeah, no. Uh, both of these instances allegedly happened literally in the first two or three days that the Lutz had moved into the home. And key note... You're also going to hear me say allegedly quite a lot. I understand there's two sides of this. There's a whole, you know, section of people that think this is a really elaborate hoax and a money making scheme and yeah. like a good Hollywood movie. And there are other people who think this is genuine. So, I want to have an intelligent conversation about it. I'm not here to say that one or either is true. I'm in the gray area. I just want to, you know, convey the events, convey the information. So I'm going to be saying allegedly a lot. So just a little keynote there. Going forward, George Lutz stated that he began waking up at 3.15 a.m., like on the dot every Mm -hmm. single day, every morning. And if you remember in part one, It was concluded that the DeFeo family murders had also happened around this time, in between 3, 3 3.15, maybe 3.30-ish. So, you know,
0: spooky! Yeah.
1: George said that he was also hearing strange noises through the house when he would wake up, like footsteps whispering children's laughter and children's talking he said doors and windows would violently open and slam themselves shut and he also said that furniture would even move across the room like all on its own like extreme poltergeist activity like extreme uh kathleen also spoke about how george just Couldn't stay warm. Like, this was like a continuous phenomenon that allegedly happened with George. He just got really cold and he would be stuck in these cold spots. Mm -hmm. No matter what he did, he just couldn't get warm. She said that he became literally obsessed with chopping firewood and making fires in the fireplace in the living room. He was like constantly shivering and complaining of being cold, and he would just obsessively cut this wood and build this fire in the house like a fucking madman
0: what the fuck
1: she also described that both george's attitude and personality started to shift dramatically within the first 14 days of living in the home she said that he was growing increasingly irritable and short-tempered And it was causing, like, a lot of arguments between him and Kathleen, as well as even the children, all the time. According to Kathleen, this was extremely unlike George. It was unlike any of them, really. From what I could read, on a normal basis, this family were all just very calm and loving people. They didn't really argue or have a lot of violence. So this, evidently, was just completely out of character for everybody, especially George. George just wasn't the type of person to be angry or upset or argumentative, or at least not to that degree. The whole family just started growing incredibly anxious, and the tension was literally almost tangible.
0: Could you imagine the stress, the amount of stress to live there consistently for a whole month?
1: Yeah, I don't know. If if what the Lutz say is absolutely true, then fuck no. Like, fuck no. Absolutely fucking not. George and Kathleen also reported that they would experience extreme temperature shifts within the home in different rooms. Some areas of the house would be so cold that none of them could literally bear to stand it. They all usually huddled together in the living room with a fire, like it would just be cold. It was also reported that the house would be overcome with, like, an overwhelming scent of old perfume, Mm. And a few of the bedrooms, as well as the sewing room I mentioned earlier, were infested with flies, like hordes of flies, they reported. Actually, in the movie, this is a popular part of it, too. You'll definitely see the scene with the priest getting told to get out and the flies are literally fucking everywhere. But they reported that these flies were just... All over some of the bedrooms and uh, Kathleen would say in an interview that, quote, it didn't matter how many times we killed them within a day, they would come right back, end quote. Another really interesting claim from Kathleen was about this hidden room that she had allegedly discovered in the basement of the house. Mm. She said that she had went down into the basement and found like a old bookshelf or like some kind of old shelf. So she was like, "Oh, cool. I'm going to like try to utilize this." Oh my
0: god. It's the pull the book thing. <laughs> oh my god, it's a shelf. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so she was like thinking of ways that she could move it and maybe, you know, get some use out of it. So she takes the shelf, slides it from the wall, and she said that behind this shelf was a small room that was empty and it was painted like a like a deep red maroon color, like a mm. like a deep red. This room was also not in any of the house plans or blueprints, evidently, at all. So she gets George and the kids, and they all go down to the basement to look, and evidently this room had, like, a horrible fucking odor to it, even though it was empty. The family dog I mentioned earlier, Harry, supposedly started, like, whimpering and trying to run away, like, the minute he saw it, like, he was not fucking with it animals i do believe have a heightened sense of the supernatural yeah so anything with like a dog or an animal freaking out that makes me like fucking creepy but evidently harry was like "Uh, no and he was just like fucking gone (laughs) they couldn't even get him to come near it
0: oh my god
1: Soon after this, Kathleen claimed that she started to experience these really vivid nightmares that would cause her to wake up screaming in the middle of the night. She said that in these nightmares, she was reliving the DeFeo family shooting from various points of view of the different family members. She said, yeah, she said one night she would be in the body of Louise DeFeo, the mother. And then other nights she would be one of the other children or even Ronald DeFeo Jr. himself. She was reliving this crime from various points of view, basically.
0: Wow.
1: She was experiencing this in wild detail, Uh, so much so that she claimed that the nightmares showed her the exact order in which the DeFeo family was shot and killed, like where their bodies were shot, how they died. Like, she evidently got like a clairvoyant like transcript basically yeah. of the
0: crime someone wanted her to know something
1: yeah i mean it's fucking creepy i do believe in like prophetic dreaming and spirits communicating through dream i definitely believe in that so there's even an instance regarding that in which her and george actually met up with the defense attorney that represented ronald de jr during his trial uh. his name was william weber Kathleen said that when she told Weber all of this about her nightmares and how she knew the order of the murders amongst other crazy details, evidently he confirmed himself that the information she gave was indeed accurate. Oh. And at this time, keep in mind, this was only 18 months after the murders happened. The small details hadn't been released to the public yet.
0: Wow. Yeah,
1: that's fucking crazy. Evidently, she accurately fucking told the exact murder and injuries to each family member like that's wild as that fuck that
0: is amazing
1: now get this shit cuz this is where i start getting like creeped out with all okay. of this uh if you guys listening if any of you know this case and the story of the lutzes then you're familiar with jody yeah that shit creeps me the fuck out so that's what we're about to get to i just had to make oh, that note oh. but um not long after this, uh, the whole, you know, her talking to Weber, confirming that her dreams evidently were accurate. The youngest of the Lutz children, five-year-old Melissa, started behaving like really fucking strangely. Mm-hmm. Uh, she started becoming incredibly obsessed and really, really just hyper fixated on this new imaginary friend that she had made. She was always telling her mother and George about how happy she was that she had made a new friend in the house. Melissa said that this friend's name was Jody. And according to Melissa, Jody was a giant pig with red eyes. Creepy as fuck. Like, if you watch the movies, especially the Stuart Rosenberg 1979 version, the way they depict Jody is fucking creepy. I do not like it. I do not like it.
0: And let me also add, no, we did not get a chance to watch it since the last episode
1: i actually watched it last you night did. over at courtney's house but you, i left you out i'm
0: sorry you did but i, definitely I haven't did. seen it yet so
1: it's fucking like the way they depict jody is fucking really creepy like she's just this giant pig with like these beaming fucking red eyes it's just it doesn't sit well with me
0: i would to name the pig crispy bacon
1: oh my god that is a lot less scary than jody i think so, yeah. When Kathleen asked Melissa where Jody lived, Melissa said, In my closet. Melissa would also repeat things that Jody would evidently say to her, some of these things being incredibly disturbing. Kathleen and George recant an instance where the whole family was at the table eating breakfast one morning. They were just chilling, you know, typical morning shit. Melissa was extremely happy and giggly and just immensely and visibly thrilled which you know let me say it's not fucking weird or abnormal for a child to be happy no mm-hmm. but uh it was just a note to make evidently her mood was just really really elevated and happy compared to how she had been acting in the weeks prior so if you
0: guys could have seen my face just now like the whole time just stank face just oh, <laughs>
1: yeah, you know no. it's about to be fucked up no so her parents ask her, "Hey kiddo, you know what's got you in such a happy mood today? What's what's going on? You know, share it with us. We want to celebrate with you." And Melissa said to Kathleen, "Quote, Oh, mommy, I'm just so happy. Jody talked to me all night and all morning, and she said that we were all going to live here in this house with her forever."
0: I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like it. No, send it. Return to sender. I don't like it.
1: Yeah, things like I was saying, like, things with pets... And, like, dogs and animals reacting. And children. And and children, because children are very, very, like, sensitive and in tune to, like, the other side. Like, I genuinely think that. So, that kind of shit just immediately creeps me the fuck out. I don't like that at all.
0: I mean, side note, like, children, they have those growth plates on their skull. Mm -hmm. And from my understanding, now I could be wrong on this, but I remember reading something somewhere they said that because the growth plates are open, you... As a child, have more oxygen around your brain. That kind of that and, makes sense.
1: I can see that making sense. And
0: so, like, this is how they're able to see what's on the other side.
1: Well, yeah, children are also very innocent. They're absent of conditioning and all the right. other things in society that take away our, you know, our Natural, personal power. Yeah, on. pretty much anything with children. I'm just like, uh, no, no, no. <laughs> George,
0: it's too creep for me. <laughs>
1: George and Kathleen were definitely made uncomfortable by this statement, and they tried their best to just kind of, like, push aside this imaginary friend. That is, until Jody allegedly started making her presence known to George and the rest of the family. I saw eyes looking down at me from Missy's bedroom window when I would be coming back from the boathouse at night. I would run into the house, run upstairs, and there'd be nothing there. There would be times that Missy would be sitting on her bed talking, and you'd walk past. You'd see the rocking chair moving, but Missy was on the bed. There were a couple of times that we saw eyes from the outside looking into the house. There were tracks in the snow that were made by something with a cloven hook.
0: Oh, my Fucking God. Yeah,
1: that's creepy shit.
0: Yo,
1: (laughs) that's creepy shit. During the first two weeks of January 1976, the activity finally reached an extremely alarming level—a level that would cause the Lutz family to abandon their dream home. George said that he had awoken again at 3:15 a.m. He said that when he woke up, he looked over and he saw Kathleen levitating slowly off the bed.
0: Oh, I literally have chills right now. (laughs) I literally, my whole leg. I know
1: it's creepy he said that he grabbed her pulled her back down onto the bed then almost immediately the house went quote crazy he said that all of the windows and doors started opening and slamming super violently george and kathleen got up ran to the rooms of their children and they started gathering them all together the kids were evidently extremely fucking scared and freaking the fuck out screaming crying you know the whole fucking nine Obviously, yards yeah George stated that Kathleen even had these really deep scratches across her stomach. George and Kathleen reported that a loud, almost chorus of voices started just screaming at them in the midst of all this. Like, hundreds of different voices just screaming and shouting as all the doors and windows were just going batshit crazy. They frantically ran out of the house and got into their car and drove the fuck off.
0: I would too. Bye.
1: It was on January 14th, 1976. 28 days after moving into their dream home that the Lutz family abandoned the house with all of their belongings inside, even with being faced with the obvious financial hardship with that decision, they stuck with it. George and Kathleen Lutz returned the house to the bank and allowed all of their belongings from inside of the house to be auctioned off the only one item that the lutz did keep from the house was a big cedar box that had been built by i think george's grandfather mm-hmm. this box was filled with like pictures of the family and the children over the years and other than that they let everything else go the shit got auctioned off
0: wow
1: yeah 28 days it's wow. wild four weeks literally four oh. weeks So, after this, the Lutz family moved to California, they bought another house, and they honestly just tried their best to leave the experiences from 112 Ocean Avenue behind them.
0: Question, did that High Hope sign, was that still sitting there when they got the house?
1: I don't want to jump and say yes, because I don't know for a fact, but I think so.
0: How fast? fucked up would that (laughs) be like that's two families in a row that had high hopes of moving into this house and
1: then tragedy yeah
0: yeah i mean it's it's wild or physical like either way it's tragedy
1: yeah so i mean naturally the media completely frenzied over the lutz's story as i said several times in the beginning and in part one best-selling books articles and movies erupted from the case even at one point, two of the world's most famous paranormal investigators also got brought in to investigate the house. Yeah. I'm sure some of you may know them, but their names were Ed and Lorraine Warren.
0: Yes.
1: Their names, uh, are very well known. I'm sure you've heard of them again. Ed and Lorraine have investigated some of the world's most famous paranormal cases, such as the Perrin family conjuring house, the famous, uh, case of the Annabelle doll, mm-hmm. like, The real Annabelle doll. The Devil Made Me Do It case and many others. They actually have a museum in Connecticut with all of these haunted things and whatnot. But they're very, very up there in the world of paranormal investigating. So Ed and Lorraine, they were called by a local New York news anchor to come in and investigate the house. Lorraine was a self-proclaimed psychic medium. Lorraine stated several times that she had never in her life encountered such an evil emanating from one place. She actually went on to say that the DeFeo house was quite literally an actual, quote, portal to hell.
0: Oh, God.
1: So, yeah, I've watched actually a lot of interviews about the house, like Ed and Lorraine Warren's interviews.
0: Did they say anything of what the um, magnetic field was around the house? Like, was it a geological kind of thing, or was it extremely abnormal?
1: Well, there's, like, a lot. It definitely, from, you know, I'm stating what they stated, allegedly, from their investigation, there were, like, extremely spiked, like, electromagnetic currents through the house. And one theory, actually, in regards to the actual murders, because, you know, nobody heard these gunshots. Yeah, But the dog barking outside of the house was heard. So there's actually a theory that a psychic barrier or like an energy barrier of some sort around the house actually muted the sound of what was happening inside, which would explain a dog outside of the house being heard, but not a rifle shots from inside. That's interesting. That's actually one theory with it during the Warren's investigation of the house they also went and captured many photos in an attempt to like you know capture some evidence on film uh, mm-hmm. something to prove the existence of the paranormal here right and there's this actual one photo that is really famous yes, for this investigation I've seen it. I'm sure some of you probably have already seen this photo if you've researched this case in any uh-huh. uh, capacity but it's a photo of one of the hallway areas I guess it's like at the top of the stairs on yeah. one of the floors and and the camera was facing some of the bedrooms and all the doors were opened. Well, in one photo, the Warrens actually captured a picture of what is clearly a young kid, yeah, like a, a boy, boy standing in the doorway. And he's looking out at the camera like yeah. that fucking creeps me the fuck out. And his it's,
0: eyes were glowing. Yes. Like it's a allegedly eyes?
1: one of the uh, DeFeo sons, either John Matthew or Mark. If any of you actually want to see this photo we're talking about, we've actually posted it on our Instagram, so you guys can go look at that if you want. We will, again, announce our social medias at the end of the episode as usual, but that photo is really, really fucking creepy.
0: Like, when they show that photo of the staircase with the little boy... Mm-hmm. And they put it right up to a picture of one of the DeFeo children. Uh-huh. It looks exactly like him.
1: Yeah, I think it looks more like John Matthew, in my opinion. But that's just my own speculating. Yeah. It, it it really does creep me the fuck out. Then you go into the other side of this case, which I want your thoughts on, too. But as much as this story gained so much momentum and literally imprinted American horror and literally yeah. became a cult classic all in one... There's a whole nother like demographic of people that truly think this is like bullshit, that all of it's bullshit, that yeah. Ed and Lorraine Warren are bullshit. And that this story was literally just a way for the Lutz family to capitalize on the murders that happened. And another note to make that goes along with that is no owners of this house After the Lutzes, I think there's been two or three families that have owned it, and there's a family that lives there now. Mm -hmm. No one has ever again reported paranormal activity. Wow. It's literally just the Lutz family that evidently, you know, went through all this. So
0: there's really no telling.
1: I guess only they really know the truth. I mean, they made fucking hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars off of it. Uh, I mean,
0: either way, like, I grew up in a house that was i've lot, definitely i definitely have lived
1: in one too i y'all can look at us crazy any way you want to but you know as when you logic got
0: door slamming and waking people up like then come talk
1: as logical of a person as i am i definitely believe in the supernatural and i definitely believe in the paranormal i believe in forces and energies that mm-hmm. we can't comprehend and i've also had some pretty fucking spooky you know instances i won't even get in into all that on here but I definitely have a side of me that believes, and I also have a logical side of my brain that tries to make sense of everything. I'm pretty sure everyone does, so I'm really in the gray area, like, what do you think? Like, do you think there's any merit to this, or...
0: I mean, I definitely do, because, um, just because no one else reports activity, like...
1: Doesn't mean it didn't happen once. Right, Yeah,
0: exactly. It doesn't mean that it didn't happen. Now especially when it comes to older houses, the older wood and the older stone of a building will hold energies and sometimes repeat that night over and over again because that night made such an imprint.
1: Well, energy does linger. And another theory about the Amityville house that was just speculated amongst Ed and Lorraine Warren, they actually said that the house, and this is going to sound so fucking horror movie trope, I get it, but the house was evidently built on, like, an Indian burial ground. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not even going to try to pronounce the name of the tribe that they said, but um, it was evidently, like, I don't know how to put it. It was like a supernatural—it was like an energetical apex uh-huh. that the Indians would use for, like, exposure and laying their dead down and that kind of thing. So that was another theory— That came up about this house that would explain the fucking violent energy if, if it was there, you know, and then you have the murders on top of that, which, oh my fucking God, that actually did happen. We, we're not, we can't speculate that that happened. Right. A whole family did in fact get shot to death by their oldest child in one go. So I'm just really, even after this episode and all of my research, I really am in the gray area. Uh, Christopher, he was the second oldest uh, son of Kathleen Lutz. He came forward as an adult and said that the hauntings did actually happen. He said that he very much remembers some terrifying things happening in the house, but he also did make the note that some things were exaggerated a little bit by his stepfather george yeah he did say that too but i don't know i am a believer that something had to have happened based on my own belief and energy and how energy sticks and works and fuels itself i i could see it and i mean if the part of them leaving the house after 28 days with all of their shit in it if that part is true then that's like that's pretty extreme for them to make up like they literally left everything they had behind i don't see i mean if it was
0: fake i don't see a family just literally leaving everything and putting themselves in debt
1: because that happened This story grew momentum and got famous after they left the house. Like, their story of what happened upon leaving is when the media grabbed onto it and it just frenzied. So, them taking the chance to just leave all of their shit and do something so drastic in the hopes that they would get rich off of it. I mean, I don't know. I think it's extreme. I see both sides of it. That's really all the information that i have on the haunting side of this case as i said a few minutes ago after leaving the amityville house they all moved to california to start fresh and they never returned back to the property they never went back in they never got their shit back they literally moved out of state and never never came back yeah see
0: if this was a hoax like no way there's no way i'm just like i understand that there are skeptics out there but when you've seen some of the things that like say you or i have seen with our own eyes and experience on our own accounts yeah um
1: it makes it a bit more believable when you put that perspective on it
0: yeah it's like begging the the skeptics like please understand and believe me when i tell you this is something that actually happened and i'm not crazy i'm not losing my mind and when
1: we're saying that we mean in regards to our own personal experience by the way just a note for you listening um yeah i agree with you because regardless of if this haunting was real i know for sure what i've seen and experienced yeah and i know some shit that you've seen and experienced Mm -hmm. i can't speak on behalf of you but like me and you talk about this shit quite often we've had some spooky shit happen to us Okay. Okay. I kind of believe both sides of it. Like even at the end of this, again, I'm in the gray area. So. What do you think, the beautiful person listening? Yes. We would love to know. Um, this one's fucking crazy. That does conclude this episode, part two of the Amityville Horror, the That's family say, haunting.
0: I do want to say that, like, this story, the murders actually happened. Oh, it yeah. They, they, d- they
1: definitely happened. Huh?
0: It had a year. There ain't no denying that. They definitely a year happened. Later. Huh? It had a fucking impact a year later. Yeah. On somebody else. That's just crazy. It was I mean. really
1: like a year and a half because it was. 18 months. Okay. After the murders that uh the Lutz bought the house, yeah, I think Ronald like it's just... Ronald DeFeo Jr had literally just got sentenced and convicted when they got this house. Like it happened around the same time.
0: And we're going to see if we can take a trip to the Amityville house.
1: <laughs> I would love to see it now. I love that. I know that the owners of the house after the Lutz family, uh-huh. all of the owners have been really like weird. About, you know, all the, understandably, all the tourism and people coming. I bet they get sick of that. But I bet we could find a way to, like, park down the street and then, you know, sneakily walk up the sneaky (laughs) sidewalk to get a sneaky picture of the sneaky Amityville house. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I would do, but either way, we're going to see it, damn it. So... Thanks you guys so much for listening in this week. We appreciate it. We hope you enjoyed my first two-parter, the conclusion of the Amityville it was horror so case.
0: Good. So good. I had nothing to say because I was so like captivated in what you were saying.
1: Oh well good, good. That is crazy. It still fucks me up. That's gonna be one that always <laughs> fucks me up.
0: I'll say two fuck me up, fam.
1: <laughs> so we appreciate it, you guys. Hopefully you can hear some more you know, spooky cases from us. We want to start putting some more paranormal and hauntings. Okay. But in the midst of all the true crime, we will still have that for you guys. And we will also be back next week with a case from Ray.
0: Yes.
1: If you guys want to You're follow...
0: love
1: it. <laughs> if you want to follow me and Ray and all of our weirdness, you can find us on social media platforms such as...
0: On Facebook at...
1: Gore Report, a true crime podcast...
0: On Twitter, at...
1: Gore Report. And on Instagram... At Gore Report Podcast.
0: And pretty soon, we will be releasing a TikTok. So, keep out for that.
1: Yes, we're going to do mini spooky case briefings on TikTok, so you guys can keep up with us there, too. So, yeah. more to come.
0: Yeah, so TikTok is actually allowing people to record up to 10 minutes of content now. So, we are going to bring to you short reports... Little Bitty Reports. With our voiceover, you'll see video, you'll see pictures. Like, it's going to be great.
1: Yes, I'm excited. You can find us and our witness on The tick of Talks. So, uh, with that being said, time to go watch cartoons. I'm totally ready. We love you and
0: Bye! bye!